we have our troubles. I was joking with George before the this morning when he was practicing about if there's anything special going on today. <clears throat> and this, this this comment has nothing to do with his performance. It's just an overall thought that I uh, I think I expressed at least somewhat. When people aspire to do special music or other activities, whatever they might be, where they might be of service, I don't look for professionalism. I don't look for perfection. I look for people who are doing their best, whatever their best is. And it reminded me of a song leader that was at the Feast of Tabernacles one time up in Spokane, Washington, in fact, about five, 6,000 people there. And he was a good song leader. He made all the right moves, beat his arms just the right way, had a wonderful singing voice, and he just irritated me to death. Because he was so enamored, so in love with his voice, that I couldn't sing joyfully to God because he was always in my way. I couldn't think of anything but him in love with himself. He would carry each end of each verse out until everyone stopped singing. And then when the piano couldn't go any further, he would take it another couple of bars. Sincerity and a joyful noise and doing our best without becoming vain, proud, and egotistical about it is what it's all about. To humbly, contritely, just do what we can. So if we fear <clears throat> to do some things because we might not feel as qualified as we think we should, don't let that stop you. God's concerned about the heart. He's concerned about us doing a service. And perfection is hard to achieve in anything. I don't know that I've ever done anything yet perfectly. Not even a swan dive. So, you know, let's, let's not get too proud of ourselves. And sometimes it's our pride that won't let us perform because we're afraid we'll make a mistake. But no one has ever performed perfectly day in and day out without making mistakes. And in fact, if you aren't making mistakes, you're not doing anything. Okay? <clears throat> With that, we'll get on into the sermon. Uh, what I am going to go through today, really, is kind of like that song we just heard about the mountains and the valleys. <laughs> because when you read through... Uh, the scriptures and the prophecies in particular, it goes back and forth between excoriating us over our lacks and our faults and our ungodliness and then reiterating the promises that God has made for us if we'll just hang in there and do our part. So it's <laughs> mountains and valleys all the way through the Bible because we're human and that's kind of what we have to have. But I started out with a goal in these feast sermons to show us what the role of the end time church is in the prophecies leading up to the kingdom of God and the millennium. And the section I want to cover today is fairly long. Uh, today and tomorrow, I'm just running out of days. Uh, so there's so much to cover. And to cover this subject properly, you need to go through every verse of Isaiah of which there are 66 chapters, and that just ain't going to happen. So, uh, I, I'll cut to the chase a little bit today and, and hit some of the uh, inspiring parts, uh, because it is the Feast of Tabernacles. It does picture the millennium, and so does the great white judgment, throne judgment for that matter. It's the same conditions there that there are in the millennium, just a different bunch of people it's working with. The millennium is simply those who lived over <coughs> the end of the age, into the millennium physically, 
and the great white throne judgment is the same government of God, the same peace on earth, only it's with those who have been resurrected from Adam on down who've never had an opportunity at salvation. So everything essentially about the millennium and the great white throne judgment is the same, just different people. But in the book of Isaiah, he starts out by showing difficulties and how the nation and the church has been sick from head to foot. And again, this book is dual like all the prophecies. It speaks first to the church and then to national Israel. So we are taking more the view of the church because we are actively involved there and God wants to use us ahead of time to do a work before the millennium even gets here. Now we've covered, at least in brief, what the bride does once she marries Christ on the Day of Atonement and comes back uh, with the heavenly Jerusalem to rule the earth with Christ. She reigns a thousand years, Revelation 5.10, with Him. And, uh, of course, helps straighten things out. But we have been called ahead of time to what I call a mini-millennium or a time here where God is going to bless us in a way that He is not so far in this age or in, well, really since Adam and Eve uh, because He needs an example and a light to the world of what the, the millennium can be. So He is going to give us those conditions. Now He starts out, we've already covered a little bit there in Isaiah as well in chapter 4, how uh, seven women will take hold of one man. The first part of the uh, chapter there. Uh, seven women being seven churches. We'll see here in a little bit in chapter 41 of Isaiah that he's going to plant seven trees in the wilderness or churches. Uh, another reference there is that there's a stone in Zechariah 3 where it says that all seven, the eyes, seven eyes of God would turn to that stone. Well, we know that the eyes uh, of the angels are upon the seven churches there in Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches. So Christ, who is the stone, he's the rock. He's the foundation. And I believe that's what Zechariah 3 is talking about. Is he's, cause it, Because the context there is he's going to show signs and wonders within the church that will cause the eyes of all seven churches to turn to Christ who's doing the works. It won't be us. He is the one who does signs and wonders. He may use us uh, in part to bring those out, but he is the one doing the work. So we have evidence that his attention will be on drawing faithful people out of all seven of those trees or churches or women here at the end. <clears throat> I don't know how he divides it up into seven, but there must be essentially seven categories because he describes the spiritual condition of each category in Revelation 2 and 3. So you might be in one of four or five hundred different little splinter groups from the church, but your attitude and approach probably falls somewhere predominantly in one of those. And I can look at them, and I can see myself in all of them. So, how God judges that, I do not know. But, at any rate, that's what he is going to do. And then you go to the end of chapter 6, and he talks there about how he will bring back one out of ten. One out of ten. We read earlier where he said he would have his portion there in Zechariah 2. His portion is ten percent. Uh, it says remnant in Haggai, and Ezekiel 5 shows us also that 10% will be preserved from the spiritual famine, pestilence, and sword that has come upon the church. So that's just the ones that come to mind immediately. Uh, there are others that show basically a 10% remnant of the church will respond. Then if you go in, get into 7, it gives a prophecy there about how Ephraim will be destroyed within 65 years from uh, whatever date God is counting from. And I think maybe the Bilderbergers being formed <coughs> to destroy this nation in 1953 could be. That would mean that by sometime in 2018, 
Ephraim will no longer be a nation, if that is the correct starting point. But he tells us there, and the point I want to make here, is that we are not to fear the beast power, the Assyrian, and all these armies that are coming against us, but we're to fear God. I've gone over that many times, but we need to go over it because our faith needs to be strong. We need to be secure in knowing that God is going to take care of us if we will do His will. And that gives us impetus, resolve, strength, and commitment to move forward. Uh, He even talks there in Isaiah 11, where we've often gone during the millennium, uh, to talk about how the, the, the wild beasts and the tame ones will all lie down together and the child can play on the snake hole and all those things. Uh, but it's still in the context later in the chapter of the Assyrian and our enemies around us. So it's not just millennial, because in the millennium, the thousand years, those enemies will no longer be around. So uh, the first application then is to the church and how God is going to give us that kind of conditions. We'll see that as we go on. In fact, let's go to chapter 35 of Isaiah In 34, he's talking about uh, troubles that will be, (laughs) some of the valley, if you will. And then he gives us the mountains in chapter 35. And this applies first to the church, later to those who live into the millennium. He says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Look around here. It blossoms as a goat head right now or as a tumbleweed. Uh, That will change. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given uh, unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the eternal and the excellency of our God. Where do we go when we want to get away from desert conditions? We go up in the mountains where the pine trees and the firs and the spruces and the aspens are. And the water, uh, he says, the b- deserts will bloom like the mountains do already. Strengthen you the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. God is going to do these things, so look to it and be strengthened, be made strong. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. So, I'll tell you this, if you've got a fearful heart, be strong. Quit living in fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Now, he will not need to be coming with vengeance in the millennium, will he? He comes with vengeance just before. But once everything blossoms and so on, uh, he says he'll come save us. He'll take care of us. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as of deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Now this could be spiritually and physically. I think it is both. The living waters of God's Word, as well as the physical side of it. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Remember what we read in Haggai? God says, no, you can't touch the unclean and be clean. Isaiah 52, be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. They won't go there. No lion along the way, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the eternal shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, that is a preface to chapters 36 through 39. I'm not going to go through those in detail. I do believe that those chapters are talking about the work of Herbert Armstrong. (coughs) 
he was dealing with the world, with the king of Assyria, and the king of Assyria is coming soon upon us in this nation. Uh, so the king of Assyria represents all those nations, and there are many of them, who will cooperate together to take down this nation. And so he was dealing, Herbert Armstrong, often with Gentile kings, um, whom he would invite over to Ambassador Auditorium. He would show them everything that we had, uh, even had unconverted people come in and perform in that house of God. All kinds of things. Uh, well, Hezekiah did that, and he got in trouble for showing the king of Assyria, I think it was, all the things that were in his treasure house. And I think Herbert Armstrong got in a bit of trouble as well on that. Hezekiah got sick. God told him he'd die. And then he implored God, and he gave him 15 years more. Herbert Armstrong had a heart attack, thought he was going to die, and he lived about 15 years more. <laughs> That's the, the story is pretty close all the way through. And it gets even clearer down in chapter 39 at the end to, to where... Uh, Isaiah said to Hezekiah in verse 5, Hear the word of the Eternal. Behold, the days come that all that is in your house and that which your fathers have laid up in store till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Eternal. Remember Zechariah 5 where two unclean birds took the church back into Babylon and set it on its base there. And its mouth was plugged up with lead. Well, that's what happened to the Tkachas. They carried everything to Babylon. Then they started selling things. And today, nothing is left. If that isn't Worldwide Church of God, I don't know where you'd find it. Right here. And of your sons, that is the ministry, those who followed, that shall issue from you, which you shall beget... And they did come as a result of him, of, in a sense, a begettal. Shall they take away? So the ministry basically has gone back into Babylon as well. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now isn't that the way the church is today, what's left of it? Even the splinters who supposedly remain true to Herbert Armstrong. They're effete. They cannot produce cannot reproduce themselves. They're trying, but nothing happens. So it's like being a eunuch, physically. No, no power to reproduce. Just slowly dying away. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Eternal which you have spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. So Herbert Armstrong retained essentially peace and maintained the truth until he died. And after he died, then false leaders began to haul it off into Babylon. So that's the end of that story. Now you have a whole new <coughs> outlook beginning in chapter 40. <coughs> and this is what we've been talking about through this entire feast. is what God is going to do afterward. This message that you've been hearing now for some years the knowledge for it began to come and the understanding in 1996 and 97 were the exploratory times. Even as 70 years earlier, Herbert Armstrong had gone through the same process in 1926 and 7. But worldwide, as a church, basically died in 1996. So the year that the church died is the year God began revealing the information that you're hearing right now. Everything just fits together like a hand in a glove. So let's pick it up after chapter 39 in chapter 40. Comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. Now, in 1996, 7, when things were just coming apart wholesale, people were totally confused, frustrated, didn't know what to do, were casting about here and there, trying to find a way to go. And here it says, comfort my people. <laughs> Let them know the answer. Comfort their confusion and their frustration. Okay? 
Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Eternal's hand double for all her sins. So didn't the growth that was in worldwide get doubled with destruction pretty much? Oh my, just came apart. But God, for those who will repent and obey, uh, is offering comfort. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the eternal, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Did we not just read that in Isaiah 35, uh, where that would be prepared? Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. God is the God of the valley and of the mountain. (laughs) And he's going to level things out and straighten things out. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, or flat. And the glory of the eternal shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the eternal has spoken it. Now we're going to see as we go through this context that he's talking about now. He's not talking about the millennium, yeah, the whole world will see then too. But the whole world is going to see the work of God at the end. And they will fight it and hate it. But they will see it. And they will know who God is, like it or not. He will reveal His glory. We'll read that in chapter 45, among other places, as we go on here. The voice said, cry. And the one who was going to do the crying said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Eternal blows on it, and surely the people is grass. So there's the message, is that God is going to intervene. Then you can tie other scriptures showing that over 90% of the population of the earth is going to die. The people is grass, and it will wither and die. I saw a picture on the internet this morning of boiling, bubbling wine running along the ground in Napa Valley. It's burned many vineyards. uh, A a tremendous loss. And if you buy wine in the next year or two or three, you're going to be paying a lot more money for it because the finest vineyards in Sonoma and Napa Valley are, uh, are being destroyed. And they think they may have been fires that were set by terrorists. They don't know that yet. But it just, I mean, there all kinds of fires started. And then the heavy winds, uh, the grass withers, <laughs> the flower fades. But the word of God shall stand forever. And it says, you that bring good tidings <clears throat> to Zion, get up in the high mountain. And you that bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. So, with all this destruction that's going on, and the grass that is going to be withered, and this shows that it's premillennial, we're to proclaim God and what He can do and will do. So, it's two messages. One, of the destruction of the church and destruction of the world, and the other, of the blessing of God for those who will serve Him. It's a a two-part message. You've got to cover both. Behold, the eternal God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him, and behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. Well, that's millennial, yes, but it's also ahead of the millennium. And then it goes on to talk about how great he is, and how all nations are as, as nothing before him, or as a drop in a bucket, verses 15 and 17. Uh, that he has power over all. So that's part of the message, is the sovereignty of God and how great he is, not how great any human is. <clears throat> uh, you know, our, our last best shot at making America great again is Donald Trump. How's that working for you? Are we great yet? <laughs> no, no, been nearly a year. We're just getting worse and worse. We're descending into more trouble and civil war and you name it. The only hope for America great again 
is Christ Emmanuel in the millennium. That's when it will be made great again. No one else has a chance. So that's why he talks about his great power here. And that's, that's the main part of the message, is the power of God. Verse 31, But they that wait upon the Eternal shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So here it's talking about God's people who are going to be renewed and strengthened to do the end-time work. Because we've already read in other scriptures, they're old and enfeebled, uh, enfeebled and weak and lame and blind and deaf and old. They've got to be renewed because they're the ones that will do the work. And it won't be their power or their strength. It'll be that which God provides. So he says in verse chapter 41, Keep silence before me, O coasts, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Then it talks about leadership, that he's going to raise up a man from the east and gave the nations before him. Is that what he's going to do with Zerubbabel? Uh, the two witnesses will have power over the nations to withdraw rain, to make uh, turn water into blood, to bring plagues, power over the nations. That's what he's talking about here. So he's talking about the church here at the end time. So he said to everyone, to his brother, be of good courage, end of verse 6. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smoothed with the hammer him that smote the anvil, saying it's ready for welding or soldering, and he fastened it with nails that it should not be moved. What's this talking about? This is talking about building, isn't it? What are we supposed to be doing? Building the temple. Building Jerusalem. Doesn't even say it right here, but we've got other scriptures to show us what they're building. <clears throat> but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. You I've taken from the ends of the earth. Isn't he going to gather them? according to Haggai, from all over the world, and bring them together to do God's work. So he says again in verse 10, Fear you not. Why does he keep saying that? Because conditions are going to be so horrible on this earth that fear is a natural emotion. So we have to have faith in God that is stronger than fear of man and Satan. Fear you not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. So this isn't talking about the millennium. Remember, we're coming back with Christ, and he's going to have a sword and be sitting on a horse with his vesture dipped in blood. That's when he's going to put down all rebellion of all nations at that point. But here, we're doing the work. This isn't the work of the millennium, or we wouldn't have to be worried about people being around that might want to destroy us. They'll all be gone in the millennium. So this has to be before that, when we're still worried, when there's still something to fear. The millennium, Satan's bound, the nations are diminished, nothing left. So this is ahead of that. I'll strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. Look around and see who's mad at us. Okay? They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with you shall perish. Isn't that what Jeremiah 11 says? Those who strive against us will perish. It says there they'll go into famine and war, which is a tribulation. You shall seek them and shall not find them, even them that contended with you. They that war against you shall be as nothing and as a thing of nothing. Now, they, have, they are considering us right now as nothing. They demanded the court to uh, abolish this church. That's what they ask in their action, deliberately. I mean, openly, right there in black and white. They ask that this church be destroyed. So they consider us nothing. And Mark 9 says our leader will be considered as nothing. 
God's going to turn it around. He tells us right here that those who fought against us will become nothing. For I, the eternal your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Says it again, Fear not, you worm Jacob and you men of Israel, I will help you. Says the eternal and your redeemer, the holy one of Israel. Then he says, I'll make you a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and shall make the hills as chaff. Mountains and hills are big and little governments in Bible imagery. You shall fan them and the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. Doesn't Micah 5 say that seven, even eight of us will go out against the Assyrian and send them packing? Same language here. And you'll rejoice in the eternal. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue fails for thirst, I the eternal will hear them. I the God of Israel will not forsake them. It says he'll open rivers and high places and fountains and the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Verse 19 I referred to earlier. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, uh, the myrtle, the oil, and in the desert the fir, the pine, and the box tree together. Seven trees mentioned there. Seven women, seven churches will be planted. Uh, that goes back to Ezekiel 17, where he takes a little twig off the top of the dead tree and causes it to grow in the desert and shows that that which was dried up and essentially dead can come to life and produce. Isn't that about where we are now? Just about dead? <laughs> Not much left? There you go. That they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Eternal has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. God says He will stir people to come to build a temple. No man can do that. Only God knows who, where, and what to bring. Then he throws up a challenge, says, has anybody got the kind of strength to do what I'm talking about here? And nope. Verse 25, I've raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun. He'll call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treads clay. There again, showing dominance of the two that God chooses to uh, stand against the world. But here he's talking about one in particular who will be the leader, the one who's the signet there in the end of Haggai, who came from the north, but when he comes here, it'll be from the east. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know? How do we know this? How can we figure out what's going on? And before time, that we may say he is righteous. We'll see a little later that he says his servant is blind and deaf. But he's righteous, but he will have his hearing and his eyesight improved. And I think that the man that this is talking about is in that exact condition right now. Yes, there is none that shows. There is none that declares. Yes, there is none that hears your words. No one will listen. No one will hear. No one knows about these things but you. I know of no other place that you'll hear this story. Do you? I mean, if it's there, let's find it. But I don't, I don't believe it's there. He even says in verse 27, The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that brings good tidings. So he says, I'm only going to send one to tell you these things. And, and, and that one will tell of those who will be doing the leading later on. So this is good tidings. This is how God is going to bless His small remnant people to do a work before the entire world and to preach the gospel to the world. And before that, to build the temple and to build Jerusalem. And then the preaching starts and the power against the world. So this is, this is stuff you can't hear unless God has revealed it. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, and there was no counselor, that when I asked of them could answer a word. 
Can you go to any of the organizations, the splinter groups from Worldwide Church of God, and ask them what's going to happen next and where it's going to happen and who's going to do it? They have no idea. They have no clue. If they had a clue or an idea, they'd be publishing it and preaching it. But they don't know. God simply hasn't showed it to them. Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Didn't it say they would be eunuchs out there in Babylon? Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion, blown about by every wind of doctrine, not knowing what's really going on. Some of them will speculate we've got three or four hundred years left. Some of them will say they're going to resurrect Herbert Armstrong to finish the work. I mean, just all kinds of wild ideas, winds of confusion blowing. No, it's all right here. It's just right here if you understand it. I would have never understood it unless God just simply opened my mind and eyes and showed me. I'd have never got it on my own, and neither will they. But God has just opened it where we can understand it. Um, he talks in verse 9 of 42, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, he's telling us right here what he's going to do. I never went to a Feast of Tabernacles and Worldwide Church of God and heard we were going to be meeting in Zion. I never heard where the Promised Land was. Did you? All I heard about was the millennium, and they'd read Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 35 and say, this is all about the millennium, uh, let's go to lunch. That was about it. But we are reading about these new things before he does them. Sing to the Eternal a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth, verse 10. You that go down to the sea and all that is therein. Uh, middle of verse 11. Let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the eternal and declare his praise in the coasts. Verse 14. I, God says, I have long time held my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman... I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs, and I will make the river islands and, and will dry up the pools. Take an aerial view of the Mississippi right now. You'll see some islands. It's drying up. Go to Napa or Sonoma and try to buy a glass of wine. <laughs> see how you do. These things are starting to happen. So he keeps going back and forth from how he's going to bless his people and what he's going to do to the world around us. So who are you going to fear? Here, verse 19. <clears throat> well, 18. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is mature, and blind as the eternal servant? Seeing many things, but you observe not. Opening the ears, but he hears not. The Eternal is well pleased for His righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. So there is the role of Moses, as we read in Malachi 4 and Matthew 17. Magnifying the law, the law of God, the law of Moses, as we sometimes call it. But it says, for a period of time, it will be blind and deaf. Now, we used to use this in referring to Herbert Armstrong because he was almost physically blind and he got where he could hardly hear. <coughs> and to some degree, he certainly was spiritually blind to all these things because it, had, it didn't pertain to him. So the final and greater fulfillment is a spiritual blindness and deafness, even though it's speaking of a righteous person who will have... <coughs> his spiritual senses opened up before long and magnify the law and make it honorable. Um, <coughs> let's go to 43. Excuse me. Throat's getting a little scratchy. 
But now thus says the Eternal that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you. What? Fear not. It's just all the way through here. Must be something to fear if he keeps saying don't. So it ain't millennium yet. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Now, he says that there are going to be some valleys. Notice verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. I suspect we're going to go through some pretty tough times, some things that could hurt us. And he says, don't worry about it. You'll be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel in the den, or whatever. I'll take care of you. Verse 5, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Does that sound like a gathering to you? A stirring to come do God's work? Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Is he working on us? Is he making us? Is he creating us? Is he building spirituality within us? Yes, he is. So we can come together. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. They can physically see and hear, but they haven't known what's going on. He says, I'm going to bring them forth. I will open their eyes and their ears. Verse 10, You are my witnesses, says the Eternal, and my servant whom I have chosen. That is a bigger context than just the two. All those that he calls, all that remnant who come to build the temple in Jerusalem, are his witnesses that he is God. They're led by two who may have a greater actual witness in terms of preaching, but those who live in Zion and sing from the heights of Zion are going to be a witness that God is God. So it's more than two witnesses. It's 10% of what was the church will be God's witness. Uh, He says it again in verse 12. I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Eternal, that I am God. Verse 14, Thus says the Eternal, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, for the sake of these witnesses he's talking about, you, right here, and others who will come. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. Revelation 18, Isaiah 48, various other places where he says Babylon is coming down. He told us to flee from it, get away from it, because otherwise we'll be partakers of its sins and plagues. So we have to get away from it because he's going to destroy it. And when it destroyed, it is destroyed if you're there. Guess who else gets destroyed? Mentions again in verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. You shall, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'll give drink to my people, my chosen, into verse 20. Uh, talks about the beasts of the field will honor me and the dragons and the owls because God is sending blessing. I heard an owl hooting last night in the middle of the night. I've heard it several times lately. There's a great horned owl that's hanging around wanting to eat guineas, I suppose, or chickens. Or maybe it's the rabbits he's after, but he's been around. I hear him in the middle of the night hooting and going on about it. (coughs) Then he indicts us a little bit. He says, I've formed this people for myself. They'll show forth my praise. But then he says in verse 22, you haven't really called on me, Jacob. You haven't come and you haven't offered uh, gifts and sacrifices and prayers to me in the way that he wants it. And he says, end of verse 24, you've made me to serve with your sins. 
You've wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he that blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. So he says, hey, I'm here to forgive you. Put me in remembrance. Let's plead together. Declare you that you may be justified. What do you mean, declare you? That means commit yourself to God. Heart, mind, body, and soul. Your first father has sinned, and your teachers have transgressed against me. That's talking about Herbert Armstrong and the evangelist and other ministry. He's, that's why he said in Malachi 1 and 2, all the tables are filled with vomit. He could not accept what was being offered to him from us. It wasn't committed enough. It wasn't powerful enough. It wasn't emotional enough. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary and have given Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. It's what happened to the church. It's what happened to it. But he says in chapter 44, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. He says, listen to me. Things haven't been what they ought to be, but, but hear this. Thus says the Eternal that formed you, which will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, whom I have chosen. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offspring. And they'll spring up as grass and willows by the watercourses. So he says, I'm going to take care of it. Just, just do your part. Declare yourself. Please. Verse 7, And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people? And the things that are coming and shall come, if they think they can do better, show it. He throws a challenge out there. Then he says again, in the verse 8, You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Where is another God? I saw a cartoon the other day just came to mind. There was a, one of those long-living turtles on the Galapagos Islands, and somebody asked him, if, well, you're, you've lived a long time. Were you around when Darwin was here? He says, oh, yeah. He says, I, I watched Darwin tinkering around here on the island. She says, he, he had a tail, you know. <laughs> Where's another God? Is it evolution? No, there's only one God. Just one. That's it. We're his witnesses that he's God. Where else are you going to find the witnesses that he's God? Got to be people that know God. It's got to be people that have God's truth. They're the only ones that can witness for God that He is God. Other religions can give Him lip service, but they don't know Him. We do. We're going to find down here even someone that He uses to find His treasures doesn't know Him and cannot be His witness that He's God. It falls on us. We'll see that in just a minute. Then he talks about people who make all kinds of idols and, and think that they've found God. I won't go through all of that. Let's go down to verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You shall not be forgotten of me. He, he ensures us that he will not forget us. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions, and as a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. <coughs> we have to have holiness. And if we're packing around a wagon load of sin behind us, uh, that doesn't work. So God is going to be forgiving and merciful. We just have to follow and serve Him, and we'll be okay. But let's do it with our whole hearts. Do it with zeal. 23. Sing, O you heavens, for the Eternal has done it. 
Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forests, and every tree therein. For the Eternal has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. That would be neat, wouldn't it, if you could say, Look, God has glorified himself in us. He's used us to show his glory. That would be an incredible thing to be able to say. And we should, because that's what he tells us he'll do. Hasn't happened yet. We're, we're unknown, but his people are going to become known. He's going to do some things that are cause them to be known. And then they can say, through healing us, through healing the lameness and the blindness and the deafness and the, the halting, God is glorified. He's the one who made us. He stretched the heavens that frustrates the tokens of the liars and makes diviners mad. I read this the other day. <clears throat> that confirms the word of his servant. I've been telling you that there's somebody going to come along who will say that the temple has to be built and Jerusalem has to be built. And he said right here in Iron County. I told you that story the other day. But we're confirming it here. This is going to happen. I've told you about it. I've read this to you. It's going to happen. God will confirm the word of his servant Isaiah. I'm just one reading Isaiah. I'm just telling you what Isaiah says. So it's, it's Isaiah's word that was written a long, long time ago that this thing's going to happen just like God says. Well, this Cyrus, who is a shepherd of God or who is uh, someone God is using for this job, says to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now, we didn't get into the rest of this, but it's important that we do because it's uh, getting very, very close. Chapter 45, thus says the Eternal who is anointed, he's appointed him for this job, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. What he's saying there is what is going to be found is so stupendous Loosening the loins in biblical parlance means you can't control the uh, water apparatus. You wet your pants. What is going to be done here will cause the leaders of nations to wet their pants and open the gates. And they shall not be shut. <clears throat> I will go before you and make your crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. So he says it's like going to a well-defensed city. God's treasures are well hidden. And God says, He'll, I'll cut through everything and show you where they are. But it's taken time. It has taken time. It's been hard work and much searching of records and various things. <clears throat> but God has showed this man incredible understanding of different maps and, and things that he's read to know what and where all this is. I've seen it. I know what he's talking that what he's saying is right. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Eternal, which call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Not his God, but he's the God of Israel. He worked with Nebuchadnezzar, even called him his servant, to do some things to what? To glorify God. Didn't Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pretty much glorify God? Right there in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Same thing here. He's doing this, as he'll say here, for his people, Jacob. <clears throat> but he's doing it, let's read on, through a carnal, unconverted man. For Jacob, my servant's sake, I'll do these things. In Israel, my elect, we are his witnesses. This Cyrus is not his witness, that he is God. I've even called you by your name. I have surnamed you, though you have not known me. 
He thinks he knows God, but he doesn't. I've told him he doesn't, and he don't believe me. (laughs) I wrote him a letter and told him all this stuff in here several years ago. And he liked the idea that he was important, but he didn't get the picture. Now, what's the purpose of all this? That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the eternal and there is none else. That's the whole point of all of this that is about to happen. And when the gold that is his and the silver that is his in Haggai is used to decorate the temple, don't you think the whole world's going to know he's God? (laughs) And if the records and the scriptures, maybe even the Ark of the Covenant is found, don't you know that they're going to have to admit that he is God? Won't serve him. Pharaoh even admitted that he was God. But it didn't mean he's going to serve him. Now, you and I need to go beyond that. We have to admit he's God, and then we have to serve him. Then he will do this thing for the sake of Jacob, his people, and to show he is God. That's the whole purpose. That's why I don't worry about contracts or promises or anything else, because God's already told me what's going to happen. So there's nothing to worry about. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I do all these things. So he goes on and on about that. Uh, And he challenges people down toward the end of the chapter to show anything else that's God but him. And he, he said, show me your idols there in 44 before he revealed what he was going to do in 45. So we have to be there as his witnesses that yes, this is of God and we'll do the work and put things together as humans that will prove who God is. Uh, Then he says the gods of this world in chapter 46 are going to be stooped down and be destroyed. And he says, I will carry and will deliver you into verse 4. Verse 9, end of it, I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega. End from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things are not yet done. That's incredible, that statement right there. That he wrote these things 3,500 years ago, more or less. (coughs) And now they're coming to pass. How do you do on prophecy? Can you figure out what you're going to have for lunch four days from now? Might be doing pretty good to prophesy that and make it come to pass. God does it thousands of years ahead of time, and it happens precisely just as He says. I uh, declare it from the beginning, saying, My counsel shall stand, And I will do all my pleasure. In verse 13, I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So Zion, Highway 9 runs through Zion. 9 is judgment. Judgment will come from Zion. There are lots of little physical things that might not seem important that I think all fit the picture. They all fit the picture. Then he tells a story about Babylon that we fear so much. (laughs) And he keeps telling us, don't fear it. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. You're not going to have any throne, daughter of the Chaldeans. You're not going to be called tender and delicate anymore. Take the millstones and grind meal and cover your locks. Make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the waters. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame shall be seen. Our movie stars and our so-called celebrities are just doing their level best to show everything they've got. And now on selfies, maybe not on film, they are shown. Well, they're doing it in the movies too, aren't they? They're having total nudity and everything in the movies. They want to show it. Well, God says, it'll all be seen. You'll be stripped naked. 
Verse 6, I was angry with my people. I polluted my inheritance and given them into your hand. You did show them no mercy, and upon the ancient you have very heavily laid your yoke. Hasn't God, hasn't this society laid a heavy burden on us and tried to wrap us up in its sin, and we have to struggle to free ourselves from it? It's a daily struggle to try not to go the way of the world and Satan around us. You said you'd be a lady forever. Sounds like Revelation 18, doesn't it? And Ezekiel 7, 16. Hear this, you that are given to pleasures that dwell carelessly, that say in your heart, I am, and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. Nobody can destroy this America and country that I love. God bless America. Oh, boy. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. Going to be taken down and destroyed. It says it will come suddenly, end of verse 11, and from a direction that you won't even know. talks about the merchants being destroyed in verse 15, same as Revelation 18. <clears throat> well, let's go on for a little bit more here in chapter 48. Quits talking about Babylon and talks about us. Hear this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Eternal and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. doesn't do any good to have lip service. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. So it's a warning. Now he's told us, don't fear, I'll take care of you, I'll do everything, but just listen here a little bit at what needs to be done. <clears throat> For they call themselves of the holy city <clears throat> and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. Uh, the Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass, because I knew that you were obstinate. Your neck is an iron sinew, and your brow brass. I have even from the beginning declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I showed it you. He told us we would be rebellious and stiff-necked and hard. Way ahead of time. Then we were, and then he had to deal with it. And then he says again that there are new things, even hidden things that you didn't know about. There are a lot of things we've learned in the last years that we never knew about before. And there are other things probably that will come out that we won't have known about. He says, they are created now and not from the beginning, even before the day when you heard them not, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. <laughs> we will find pride and vanity and ego anywhere we can find it. <clears throat> so he says, I'll just make some brand new things you haven't even heard about. Now, we've read a lot of things here that we had never heard about, that were in here we didn't see. But maybe he's talking about some brand new things that even aren't in here that he'll do. And, and if it's that new, there's nobody can say, I knew that. Because they, they couldn't have read it anywhere. It's brand new. Verse 9, For my name's sake will I defer my anger, and for my praise will I refrain for you, that I cut you not off. He's promised that he will protect and that he'll make this plan work. But there are times when he feels emotions like he felt in Noah's day. I think he'll just wipe them all out. <laughs> you know, is it really worth it? You know, son, we've lived forever in peace and happiness here with the exception of Satan. And now we've created all those people down there. Look at the mess it's been. What do you think? <laughs> Well, let's make it work. We can be thankful for that. He's going to be merciful. <clears throat> he says down in verse 18, Oh, that you would hearken to my commandments. Then had your peace been as a river, and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. Then he tells us in verse 20, Go you forth, out of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing, declare it you. Tell this, utter it to the end of the earth. There's a time to speak out about it. 
Say you, the Eternal has redeemed his servant Jacob, and they thirsted not. When he led them through the deserts, he caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He claved the rock also, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, says the Eternal, to the wicked, but to the righteous. He will open everything up and provide everything that is needed. Well, it's 12.18. Maybe we'll stop there. But there's some really incredible promises ahead of us in these next few chapters that we'll close things up with tomorrow.